You, monster, we've trekked a thousand miles across starless seas, blighted mires, and forests without end, all in seeking you to ask you a question. What are you looking for in an apartment? Would you be a good Cub Scout leader? Can I ride you, or would that be disrespectful? Should I invest in subterranean realty? Do you find it sexy when I T-pose and spin in a circle? Every episode of Finding Monster Right has us asking questions like these, about monsters from folklore, pop culture, and our own world. Join us as we meet alien allies, cryptic comrades, and friendly fiends. After all, it's not just a show about monsters, right? Right. Finding Monster Right. We found you, now you find us. We have another special crossover today, Sybil. Thank you again for crashing my podcast. Oh, it's easy when the gods help me out. Yeah, it's funny you mention gods because this show from our new podcast friends is all about the old gods. The Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program is Lovecraftian horror comedy where historical fiction and high-stakes hilarity meld in an unholy amalgam of tabletop role-playing and cinematic audio drama so our listeners get to succumb to the maddening call of Cthulhu. You know, I've had some visions that I'm pretty sure came from Cthulhu instead of my usual gods. And I think I lost some sand points. I had a vision once that I went to a grocery store because we were out of milk. That was it. That is so weird in its normalcy. So, I've been listening to the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program, and I appreciate how these folks have crafted... Oh, (laughs) you see what I did there? Crafted? Lovecraft? Oh, I'm so funny. Um, but these folks have crafted a show that H.P. Lovecraft would hate. The show features diverse characters and is a queer spin on cosmic terror, where humanity is as much a threat as the eldritch nightmares in the shadows. H.P. Lovecraft's prejudices? are the ultimate evils. Yeah, I occasionally get messages from the dead, and yeah, Lovecraft is pissed. That makes me happy for some reason. And also, of course, you get messages from the dead. So, for our very alive listeners, please enjoy this trailer. Then find and listen to the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program anywhere you listen to podcasts. There is a link in the show notes, of course. And our thanks to the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program for their support. Do you hear that? Presenting a bold new adventure into Lovecraftian horror and black comedy, the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program's acclaimed second series, The Terrible Secret of Lot X. Sold to the woman in green. Estelle Thorpe has made a precarious purchase. Get anything good? Contents of automobile trunk, backseat, and glove box, unsorted. Mmm, riveting. But this auction win is more than it seems. A deranged man tried to outbid me. He confronted me afterwards. That box you bought? Burn it if you know what's good for you. He who is not to be named killed those boys and it's my fault. Just like he's gonna kill you. To solve the paranormal mystery she's uncovered, Estelle assembles an unlikely crew of curiosity seekers. Moses Cubbenfield, a renowned mountain man author. Estelle, ma'am, I, I, I promise that if you are trying to win me over, the odds are good, but the goods are Cherry Featherbottom, a flapper who's more than she seems. I'm gonna just be upstairs cleaning my gun. <laughs> Who are you, my dad? <laughs> Oswald Sinclair, 
Hobo King. That's not jam. That is definitely the opposite of jam. That is people jam. Anjana Ramakrishnan, Estelle's partner in a cult adventure. You summoned a demon and you don't remember it, darling. No firearms. Not right now. And Kenneth Rogers, a notorious gambler. I can play cards any old day, but chicken lunch at Thorpe Manor? Mm-mm. That sounds like a mighty fine time, I tell you what. Together, they encounter monsters above and below, and an unholy conspiracy that threatens to shred their sanity to tatters. This is startling and strange, but darling, we might be onto something here. This is why we came to Arkham, after all. Not for murderous grave robbers and disappearing children. The Necronomicon. Whatever your intent with this book, I caution you and say with all certainty, you will find more danger than answers. You brought me back. You, you all brought me back. Brought you back from what? This is not our world. This is not our world at all. When the dance is done and his infernal song rings loudest, there will be no lewd carnality denied to us. You leap onto this thing's back and bury your hatchet in its neck. He howls. I will eat you. Dear Lord, what happened to you? It's take too long to explain. We gotta get to get to the hospital. I'll tell you what right now, we, we can't go to the police with this. Yeah, I expect you're right. They'll put us in the sanitarium. I the air gives way to the crushing depths. You're drowning. You're drowning in a sea of yellow. In this program, our cast actually lives the terror. It's an improvised audio drama that uses Chaosium's Call of Cthulhu role-playing game and the wits of our players to weave these uncanny tales. This is a cinematic radio play where anything can happen, and these poor souls never know what's going to crawl out of the darkness. Discover the terrible secret of Lot X, the entire second series now available on your favorite podcast player. Just search for the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program or unlock all our secrets at CthulhuMystery.com. Part of my job on this planet is to acquire full cultural literacy so that when the Armada shows up, we have given them every opportunity to tell us not to eat them. Um, therefore, I'm probably pretty well braced to answer you. Hi, you're listening to The Corgan Show a podcast about being a monster in a human world. I'm your host, Penny Cephalonia, and I'm a Gorgon. I'm so excited because I got to interview my first human guest for this episode. Or possibly human guest. I'm still not sure if she was joking about that or not. But she's a friend to monsters, whatever she is, and that's what's important to me. And a friend to snakes. She likes snakes. Yes, that just made her more delightful to have as a guest, didn't it, Johan? She was all right for a maybe human, I gotta admit. I didn't quite know what to expect, but I was delighted with how much she made me think about what the word monster can mean, depending on who's saying it or hearing it, and about what that word means to me, personally. Donuts! No, Duncan, monster does not mean donuts, sorry. 
For me, it's a word I use neutrally to describe myself and those like me. But I know I do that because I've had the privilege of being around mostly kind and accepting humans. I do know humans that use the word monster as an insult or to point out that they think someone is a threat. That's so not cool. Not every monster is a threat to humans. Gods. Being specious is not fashionable, people. I agree, Zappa. Just like not all snakes are harmful to humans. Right? And like, hello, humans can be harmful to humans, duh. Exactly. And sometimes the harm any of us may cause is completely accidental. And then you have a new statue in your yard and it's like, hey, free art. Um, anyway, you might call me a monster and mean it as an insult to me, but I see it as something to be proud of. I'm proud to be a monster. I'm proud to be a monster that is a gorgon. But I do not speak for all monsters or for all gorgons. I'm just speaking for myself. So human friends and listeners, I have some advice for you. If you're not sure what to call someone, ask them. Then call them what they'd like to be called. It's really not that hard. Don't cost nothing to be respectful. Absolutely, Forbes. So an extra big thank you to this episode's guest for caring enough about monsters like me to want to speak about us respectfully and treat us as the individuals we are. I'm so thrilled to share my interview with award-winning, maybe human author and monster friend who might be a monster herself, but who really knows? Um, Seanan McGuire. But first, a word from one of our wonderful sponsors. I love to cook, but I don't always have the time to whip up a nice manicopita. And even if I do have the time to cook, I may not have time to shop for the best ingredients. So that's why I subscribe to Baba Yaga's Meal Kits on Chicken Legs. Baba Yaga's delivers fresh, locally sourced ingredients with easy-to-read recipes right to my door. All I need to do to have a magically delicious meal in no time at all is open my box, do just a little preparation, then cook. I didn't think I would be a fan of borscht, but Baba Yaga's borscht is one of my favorite meals. You can be as adventurous as you want with your meals, which can be customized to suit your tastes and needs. There are special meal plans for everyone, from vampires to vegan vampires. Just don't ask for chicken. None of their meals contain chicken. Baba Yaga herself will curse you if you ask for chicken. Choose your Baba Yaga meal kit on chicken legs plan today and get ready to enjoy easy-to-prepare deliciousness. Get your first two boxes free when you mention The Gorgon Show. I'm so excited to welcome our first human guest. Not only human, a human author, a breed of human that is just on a whole other level of human. Please welcome to The Gorgon Show. Seanan McGuire. Hi, Seanan. How are you today? Hi. Thanks for having me. You are most welcome. I'm uh, I'm fine. You know, I am the vanguard of an invading species of alien plant people coming to eat this entire puny planet. So I'm a little offended by how many times you said human in the first 20 seconds, but I'll get over it. Oh, this is one of those times where I'm not sure if a human is joking or not. If you are indeed human, ha! <laughs> I, I'm just going to do something I learned from a previous guest is is the wink. I'm going to wink at you right now. Wink. That right. means 
I, I get it, even though I'm not sure I do. Oh, humans are so funny. I probably should talk to you more. Well, um, if you are not human, wink, how, how would you like me to describe you to the audience? I don't know. Author is fine. Seanan is fine. Okay. My uh, usual indicated species is annoying, so we just kind of roll with that. Okay. Well, then welcome, annoying Seanan. Okay. We're just going to go with that. So, as I said, you are an author. Could you please tell our audience um, a little bit about some of your works, but specifically the Encrypted series, which I was a little frightened to read, but I found, well, it was a very nice fictional, but still nice and overall positive depiction of monsters and cryptids. And I really, really appreciated it. But for members of our audience, human and monster, who may not be familiar with it, how would you describe your work? Do you describe your work as annoying as well? So I primarily write urban fantasy, which is the most recent incarnation of the fairy tale or Marchand archetype, where you're taking magical elements and bringing them into an otherwise mundane modern world. Uh, You have variations on urban fantasy that happen in different time periods. It is sort of like horror in that it's as much a flavor as it is a genre in and of itself. The encrypted books are fairly straightforward urban fantasy in that they happen in the world anybody can wander out into, but they include, as you say, cryptids and monsters, although the characters that that series is about, the Price family, would never use the word monster. They find it extremely offensive. It is not an appropriate way to talk about another intelligent creature. Yeah, that is one of the things that I really appreciated about your book. We are trying to make changes in the language, but at the same time, well, humans are in charge. It's slow going. I'm not quite sure how to talk about myself to my human friends sometimes, and I use the term monster simply because I don't have a replacement term. If you have any suggestions, I would absolutely love to hear them, but if someone calls me a monster, I don't take it as an insult unless they mean it as an insult. Language is funny, but you would know that since you're an author. That is true. It is very much in where you're standing as to whether or not it is considered to be an insult or something like that. Uh, Gorgons are are usually considered to be monsters, sadly. They are mythological creatures in the most formal application of the, of the, of the term. They are not considered demigods, which is unreasonable since every freaking thing else wandering around the Greek mythology got to be a demigod at some point or another. I would go with cryptid if you are talking colloquially, mythological figure, you know, something to try and step away from that monster because even if you're not offended, that is a word that is inherently depersonizing for most humans. They're going to hear you describe something as a monster and go, oh, well, that's not a person. I don't have to be kind to it. I don't have to take care of it. I don't have to be gentle. And and that's not reasonable. That is fascinating. I actually find it kind of ironic how monstrous humans can be to one another. Oh, this is, oh, this is going in directions I did not expect. And I am so happy and also terrified. Amazing. So... I have to take a moment to consider, well, in the world that you've created, Corgans are 
well, mythological creatures, but of course, here in the real world, we are, well, as as real as you and I. Um, And yet, I would love to talk about how humans have created mythologies around us Gorgons, even humans like yourself, who I'm going to make an assumption here. You must be friends with some Gorgons because there are some details. I, I was reading Half-Off Ragnarok and there were moments where I went, oh, out loud. And I scared my snakes because it's like, oh, that's that's just dead on correct. Good job. Yay. But the, the rest of the fiction that you created around Gorgons, I thought was both fascinating and respectful. So could, could you please talk about um, how you came up with some of the ideas? Well, to mythologize. Mythologize? Mythologize. Mythologize. Thank you. Mythologize us. So I went to university at the University of California, Berkeley, go Bears, uh, and was the first student that they had ever had to deal with who decided that the best possible major was a hybridization of folklore and herpetology. So my degree was literally in fairy tales and snakes. That is what I studied for several years at the academic level. And uh, that is part of what I've brought to the Encrypted series is a biological approach to these creatures that people generally regard as fantastical. You know, do they exist? Do they not exist? We don't know. But what would they look like if they existed in this real world? What known biological attributes can I use to recreate them and make them a functional part of a setting that depends on real world physics and biology to hang together? So basically everything you encounter in that series, with the exception of some of the stranger sorcery and psionics, is going to be based on some level on actual biological attributes. Um, In that universe, the Gorgons are a member of an order called Synapsida, and the Synapsids were a real order of creatures that existed during uh, prehistoric times. I can't remember whether they were in the Pliocene or the the Cretaceous. That's a little outside my... uh, my box of caring about it. I find the pieces I want and I put them in the box of give a fuck and I leave the rest of it on the shelf for someone else to root through. Uh, But synapsids were considered the mammal-like reptiles. And a lot of the fantastical creatures that I've translated into my cryptids, because cryptid is the group term for all those things, since they exist, they're not fantasy creatures, they're not mythological creatures, they are cryptids that have had mythology built up around them. Um, So we just use that cryptid as a group term. But uh, in my universe, a lot of cryptids can pass as humans because they have picked up extended mimicry techniques. And that's a thing that we see all over the animal kingdom. Um, It's a thing that we see fairly frequently in snakes. There are species of snake that can absolutely disappear into a forest floor or the underbrush because they've learned to flatten their bodies, to extend their scales, to make their hoods go up, all sorts of behaviors that just help them disappear. So the cryptids of the encrypted universe look so human because they are trying to be able to just disappear. That that is that is so close to our reality and yet so original. My mind is blown. And and oh the snakes on my head are are vibrating with excitement right now, but but I am willing them to be chill. There there are times when when I wish the snakes on my head could disappear. Oh goodness, now they're hissing quite violently. You know I'm joking, snakes, and you know I will buy you donuts after this interview. Yes, 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 there you go. Good job, snakes. So, if you're allowed to share, 
Do you have any Gorgon friends, or is your research strictly academic? My research is sadly strictly academic. Um, most Gorgons that I have heard of work very hard not to stand out among the human community because humans, humans kind of suck. Like there is very, they're, they're great. They're fantastic. But humans, there is very little that they have met that they don't want to either dominate physically, take apart or have sex with possibly in that order. Um, so if you're a Gorgon that is working in herpetological circles, you don't want people to start saying, oh, she didn't do her own research. She never did her own work. It's just that the snakes on her head told her how to make friends with the Taipans. And that's why she was able to survive. She has absolutely no academic standing. And also, I bet she doesn't have any hair. So we should totally fuck her before we hand her over to the scientists that'll put her in little jars. I, I wish I could disagree with your assessment on some humans, but oh, oh no, no, you are you are dead on in that regard. Um, my 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 fellow Gorgons, uh, specifically my friends and family, I don't know of anyone in the sciences. We do tend to like you like you pointed out in in your book. We do tend to prefer jobs where we get to be away from people. Uh, my my parents. They wanted me to, uh, I believe the term is, integrate. But at the same time, they wanted me to keep my head down. But yes, I have encountered some of those asshole humans before. And the places where they lived have new sculptures. Oh, that's nice. That just, yeah, they just popped up. But I have no idea how that happened. But, oh, I do I do think that if you ever had the opportunity to become friends with a Gorgon, if you ever see a Gorgon out and about, please, I, I believe they would really enjoy talking with you. Oh, oh no, 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 goodness. I am, I'm, no, I'm not trying to be your friend. <laughs> no, that would be, that would be, okay, I would love to be friends with you. You're the coolest human I've ever met. You're so awesome. <laughs> Well, that might be my best route since otherwise it's a little fetishizy to go up to someone and go, hey, just because of your species, I'd like to make friends. Yes, yes, it, it would. something else in common. Yeah, it, it would be um, awkward. I have had several encounters where <sighs> humans want to touch my snakes. And um, though, though my snakes are not venomous, yeah, that's just sometimes I wish they were. And and I have been told sometimes that I'm very articulate for a Gorgon. But mm -hmm. I also know that humans talk to each other like this, and I don't quite understand why. But I'm also a little shy, so I can understand how difficult it can be to just start interacting with another sentient being. But if the ever opportunity ever presented itself, I, I cannot speak for all Gorgons, but I do believe they would appreciate that you are a friend and that you mean to represent them well and in a very creative yet still respective way. For example, I'd like to talk a little bit about how in your fictional world, there are different species of Gorgons. I found that fascinating um, because of course in the real world, we are all, well, much like humans, we are of, of different races. Well, human definition, we have slightly different skin colors, but we're all quite connected, most of us. 
There's always those weird ones. We all have those weird cousins at the family reunions. But I'd like to talk a little bit about the species in your encrypted series and how you've divided gorgons into three different species, some less human than others. Could, could you speak to that? Where did you come up with that idea? It's fascinating. Well, if you go back to Greek mythology, to the stories that humans were telling about gorgons centuries ago when we first started becoming aware that gorgons existed and wanted to turn you into fairy tale creatures so we could feel comfortable around you, the idea was that Medusa had two sisters. So you had the three gorgons. I've set up three separate subspecies of gorgon that each descended from a different one of those sisters. So you have the greater Gorgons that are descended from Medusa, and then you have the Pliny's Gorgons and the lesser Gorgons that are descended from her two sisters. Yeah, I, I absolutely loved that you did that and how you honored Medusa and her sisters that way. I, I've never actually met Medusa now that she's been brought back to life, despite the actions of that fucker Perseus. But I don't know, maybe, maybe I'll be less shy about talking to her next time I do come across her at a Gorgon family reunion. And and maybe I could talk to her uh, about your books. I don't know. She might have already read them. She might enjoy them. I, I've never seen her sisters, though. I Oh, goodness. This is, this is kind of wrong of me to say, but I don't think they get along. You know how sisters can be. I've heard there's some drama. I don't know any more details than that. There usually is between sisters. I mean... I have sisters, we don't always get on, and of course there's the great and sprawling root mass that's on the armada that's currently en route toward Earth. That that would cause a lot of tension. Wink. Um, hee hee hee. So I I am still curious about humans and and the way you all think, despite being around you as as much as I, I have been. Um, would you mind if I ask you some questions? I know you're not representing all humans here, but would you mind if I asked some questions, well, about being human? Feel free. Part of my job on this planet is to acquire full cultural literacy so that when the Armada shows up, we have given them every opportunity to tell us not to eat them. Um, therefore, I'm probably pretty well braced to answer you. I, okay. I still don't know what to do with that, so I'm just going to smile. Listeners, I'm smiling nervously right now. Thank you. So what's it like having the thoughts on your head stay silent and not hiss at you all the time? Does it ever get lonely not having snakes on your head? I mean, I kind of wonder how you sleep, given that there is the concern of rolling over onto a snake. I guess you just adapt to it. The assumption that human thoughts are silent I have always kind of envied people whose thoughts are external because mine are so loud. They're in here yelling all the time. And I sometimes don't know which ones are me and which ones are characters I've created and which ones are transmissions from the Armada. Oh my goodness. So you, you have snakes in your head. Yes, that is, is basically how it works. Metaphorical snakes. Oh, that, that is fascinating. Um, as as for sleeping, my snakes are very, very good about, they do this, I, I almost describe it as this Beyonce flounce. They do this amazing flounce when I put my head down on the pillow, and they just kind of go up and then gently down onto the pillow, 
And, and I've just learned how to sleep without rolling over onto them. All Gorgons have learned this, but I learned it very early on as soon as my snakes started talking to me because they would let me know if I happened to roll over in a way that made them uncomfortable. Um, as for sleeping, I, I believe that Gorgons like me, we are very rare. Those of us who have snakes that talk out loud. Mm-hmm. We're a little rare amongst Gorgons, but I, I know I'm not alone. And I have found that we are some of the best sleepers of all. I'm lucky enough to have a, yes, yes, Johan, I'm talking about you. I have a musical snake and he hisses me to sleep Aww. every night with his little three chords. I am always so happy to see you to sleep. It is the very best. Yes, yes, Johan. I appreciate it. And I appreciate that you don't sing when I'm on the telephone with a friend. Well, you're you're very welcome. So, yeah, I actually sleep very, very well. But maybe I should, like, record what my snakes do each night when I put my head on the pillow. It's It's actually quite lovely. They just go up and then down in this beautiful little wave. So do your snakes have independent brains? Like, has anyone autopsied a Gorgon who has passed away due to natural ch- natural causes? Um, I, I know, just like humans, when one of us dies under mysterious circumstances, that our autopsies have been done. But I have not really studied the more scientific aspects of being a Gorgon. I, I believe that... What you've made up about Gorgons scientifically is probably more than I know in reality about Gorgons, but I'm going to put that on my list of things to learn about ourselves. But my my snakes each have individual voices, therefore I, I feel that they must have individual brains. Oh, that's a little terrifying. That is not outside the realm of human experience for a lot of people. Their pets will have individual voices that they can hear. Sometimes their toys will have individual voices. They will have bunches of individual voices just hanging out in their heads. That is relatively normal. Uh, But I think the question of whether they have brains is a good one. If they do have brains, they must be dreaming at night once they go to sleep, or they would inexorably go insane due to a lack of mental decluttering. I I dream about money. Oh my God. I dream about like what it must be like to have hair. Oh my God, to have hair would be so cool. I dream about music, specifically hip hop. Donuts. Donuts. Okay, your snakes almost certainly have independent brains. And uh, that further means that someone could effectively use as a form of torture, locking your ears and then blasting sirens so your snakes couldn't sleep for 10 days straight. I... My snakes sometimes annoy me, but I would not want that to happen to them. Oh, who would do that, Sean? Is this the aliens? Oh, oh, yes, yes, of course. Humans love to find out how you can take things apart. You will find scientific studies involving lots of animals that are just as bad, if not worse than that, that humans have already conducted. And unfortunately, because of your snakes, if human science were to have confirmation of your existence, you would be classified as an animal rather than a human. They can't accept the idea of that level of variance from what they have decided is the norm. Oh, that's that's horrible. I sometimes regret having a self-defense mechanism that is staring at people and petrifying them. 
But there are also times where I'm really glad I have that available. Hmm. Now, I've, uh, my human friends, as I said, my Gorgon friends, not much into the sciences. My human friends, I know some artists and some engineers, but I, I think I'm extra glad that I've avoided these, these scientist people. They sound awful. That is probably for the best. Many scientists are wonderful people who just want to know things. But you do unfortunately get your share of scientists who think that because they are humans, there is a major human religious text that begins with the God of humans who created all the people telling the humans, okay, everything here is yours, do with it as you will. And there are many humans who have used that as an excuse to torture animals, take them apart, use them for their own devices. And I don't mean eating them. Humans are omnivores, as I believe Gorgons are. Oh, I like a good cheeseburger. Exactly. And ethical killing and consumption of animals is against some people's moral codes, but is not innately going to be the worst thing ever. Uh, my cat, who is hanging out right next to me, very much enjoys the opportunity to kill and eat things. I can't stop her. I've tried. Predator and prey. Okay, so so what I'm hearing is is... Human scientists can be awesome, but maybe I should be a little extra cautious around them because they are curious, sometimes to a fault. That is correct. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. Good to know. Okay. No, no, snakes. Don't, don't worry. I can, I can, I can feel your nervousness. I would never let any harm come to you from anyone other than me. That's right. You're, you're doing a good job. Keep behaving. Um, so yes, yes, my snakes must have individual brains, which I will protect with my life. Only I get to threaten my snakes, human listeners. Just to be clear, speaking of snakes, I know you're a fan, a very knowledgeable fan, of, of venomous creatures. And, well, the answer is snakes, of course, but what are some of your favorites besides snakes? Which is the answer? Snakes are the best. One very common misconception among humans, because it's unclear, is the difference between venomous and poisonous. If something bites you and you die, it's venomous. If you bite something and you die, it's poisonous. So my favorite venomous creatures do include snakes. I love snakes. Snakes are the best. My favorite venomous snakes include Floyd, who is the king cobra that for a long time lived at the University of California, Berkeley. The specific taipan currently in residence at the Melbourne resi at the Melbourne Reptile Park, who is basically the Ron Jeremy of taipans. He is so used to being milked daily that if you pick him up, he just pops fang. He's ready to go. Uh, I'm a big fan of king cobras in general. They tend to be very, very sweet, very, very amiable creatures. But outside of the snake category, I love Komodo dragons and I love Gila monsters. And I love how long it took us to figure out that Komodo dragons were venomous because the fact that they are 19 feet long and can eat your ass apparently distracted us from the part where you're not just rotting to death when they bite you, you're dying of a slow acting topical poison. I'm like, I just, I respect that. A plus, go team venomous uh, lizards. I, I must say, I respect that as well. I, I hope in their time, they, they, they've eaten some of those asshole scientists you were talking about. He they in fact have. I don't understand from a biological standpoint how we're not just ass deep in Komodo dra dragons at all times. The Komodo dragon doesn't have the XY chromosome layout that most mammals and reptiles do. Instead, they have a ZW, 
Female Komodo dragons are capable of parthenogenic reproduction that includes males that are genetically dissimilar enough from their mother that they can reproduce with their mother to make more Komodo dragons without encountering genetic bottlenecking. They can be up to 19 feet long, they stand a foot and a half tall at the shoulder, which is entirely the wrong size for a lizard to be, and they can swim! They swim! The motherfuckers can go from island to island! How are they not here? How are they not just everywhere? Look, I, I must be honest with you, just gorgon to human. I don't know how you hairless apes really came to dominate the planet, especially when you describe some of the other non-sentient creatures on this planet, like 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 Komodo dragons and, and others. But I, I think it has something to do, I mean, my guess, as I said, I'm not very well versed in science, but I would guess it would have to do with opposable thumbs and a hell of a lot of imagination. Persistence predation. Hmm. Humans basically okay. took over because they breed very quickly. While it is difficult on the human female to give birth and survive the process, if she lives, she can make another one pretty much immediately. We don't have a breeding season. And humans can just follow things forever. Humans will literally stalk their prey until it drops dead. They don't you have are. to depend on a burst of speed on that quick pursuit. They don't need predator reflexes. They just need to be persistent. You so, are kind of creepy, I must admit. Yes. <laughs> thank you. Don't chase your dreams. You were built to be a persistence predator. Follow your dreams at a reasonable pace until they get tired and lay down, and then you will have them. That's, that's I think, wonderful advice for both humans and, and monsters. So, so, oh, Goodness, my snakes are are so happy right now. I can feel it. Um, have have you ever had a conversation with a snake? Because the non-cryptid snakes of this world, of course, don't talk. Which my snakes were so disappointed the first time we went to the zoo after they awoke and started speaking. Oh, they felt so lonely. I actually did feel very bad for them. Um, but if you could ask a snake a question, or if you could just tell a snake something, what what would you ask? What would you tell them? I've had many conversations with snakes. It's just that they're generally one-way conversations because, as you say, the snakes can't speak. But some of the larger colubrids, and especially the members of the cobra family, are intelligent enough that you can see a certain degree of cognition, and they understand some of what's being said to them. Um, so oh, that's I will fascinating. I will generally try to communicate exactly what I am doing and what I am hoping to achieve when I'm working with any of those snakes. And I have found that it's increased my success rate because snakes are people too. They're, they're not human people, but they're people and they like to know what you're trying to do to them. Now, if I could ask a snake a question and have it give me a, an answer in a language I could understand, um, is this a single snake offer or is this a limited period of time offer? Like what's going on here? I, I think if you have a question for snakes, snakes, are, are you okay? Oh, all of my snakes are nodding. It's making my head go up and down. That's how powerful <laughs> this is right now. Oh, that's oh, kind that's of disconcerting, delightful. snakes. Oh, oh, that's because it's not happening to you, you human. Um, okay, I, I say just ask some questions and let's just see where it goes. I, I mean, to be fair, my questions would be for specific snakes. Your snakes seem very delightful but they can't help me with asking, say, the king cobra at my local zoo, are you getting everything you want? Do you have sufficient enrichment? Is there anything that would make your life better? Are you looking for a mate? Would you prefer to continue denning alone? Should I tell the zookeepers that it's time to start shopping for 
whatever it is you're into. And since with snakes, with non-Gorgon attached snakes, it can be difficult to tell the gender without inappropriately touching the snake because you can't get consent. You can't ask, you know, both are you an egg laying snake or an inseminating snake? And would you be would you be willing to allow a physical exam of that fact so that the zookeepers can better match you with someone? Are you happy is the primary question I would have for snakes. And I feel like your snakes are happy because they are well cared for. They get donuts. You clearly care about their well-being. You clearly want them to be happy. Uh, there are so many snakes in this world. Humans have a nasty tendency to assume that because mammals are not, that because reptiles, sorry, are not warm and affectionate the way that mammals are, we just don't recognize their affection. It's there. It's a genuine part of what they are, but it's not a mammalian love. And so we can't see it necessarily. And so people abuse snakes. They get snakes because they think they're cool and they don't feed them the right things. They don't keep them in the right enclosures. I've met Burmese pythons that were 14 feet long and still kept in a two by two box. That's basically being locked in a closet with no room to turn around your entire life. And since they don't have vocalizations, the only way they can complain is to strike at their humans to try and say, hey, you're treating me badly. But that just gives the human an excuse to treat them worse. Or have them euthanized. I, I feel like... So my big question... I, I have a new mission now, but I'm, I'm so sorry. Please continue. I'm just... I'm all very worked up about this now. Please continue, and then I'll talk about my new mission. That's good. My big question for captive snakes would be, are you happy? What can I do to make your happiness better? And my big question for wild snakes, if this is like you get an hour where you can just talk to snakes, would be, hey, have you considered perhaps not sunbathing in the middle of the freeway? Have you considered perhaps not slithering near the elementary school where someone is going to see you and kill you? Have you considered perhaps that as a rattlesnake, you would be better off moving into that mountain where there are no humans than you are hanging out here on this soccer field? So, so it sounds like, just like with humans and with gorgons, there are some snakes that are, well, just dumb fucks. Yep. Well, that's... That's something we all have in common then. But I have a new mission if my snakes are amenable. And and that is to, next time we do go, to our wonderful local zoo. I mean, my snakes can't communicate with snakes at the zoo like, like they can communicate with me. But perhaps they'd be able to key in on the body language of the snakes there. And perhaps read them a little better. Snakes, would you be willing to do that? Oh my god, I want to help, like like the non-head snakes so much right now. I'm just like crying. It's just so much. I know Zappa, it is a little bit overwhelming. I don't know. Is there like, you know, money in, I don't know, taking care of like these snakes? Or Not everything is about money, Forbes. Not everything is about money. But I, I, I feel so motivated now to not just get to know humans better and, and to get to know my fellow monsters better, but also I'm feeling so very protective of snakes right now. That is something I've never been. Thank you. Thank you so much, Annoying Shannon. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. So I, I generally ask these questions of monsters on the podcast, but if you'd be, I like this word, amenable. If you'd be yeah. amenable, I'd like you to ask, just some questions about you as an individual, not a representative of the entire possibly human species. Wink. Um, okay. What's, what's a normal day, if you have a normal day? What's a normal, 
will let's say average day in your life look like? I am a full-time author. So the majority of my days begin with me getting out of bed, relocating from my bedroom to wherever I have currently got the computer set up. Right now it's at my dining room table, which is 90% Magic the Gathering cards by weight and really needs to be cleaned off before tomorrow because we're playing Dungeons and Dragons at this table tomorrow night. And then I sit at my computer at whatever location I've gone to and I work. And I work until I am done working. At some point in the middle of the day, I will take a walk, if at all possible. I don't take a walk on Thursdays because on Wednesdays, I take a five-mile walk. And that is about as much as my foot can tolerate. Once I am done working, I will stop working. I mean, obviously. And then I will watch television or a movie or something else to try and give the voices in my head time to talk themselves out without involving the rest of me. And then I will go to bed. Not the most exciting life, but I enjoy it and it's mine. Oh, as long as you're happy. That's what's important. I, I too, have played Dungeons and Dragons. Um, it's a little different when you play as a monster, but but do please tell me, uh, what's your favorite class to play? I primate, well, I only play Arcanists, so I will only play um, Sorcerers, Wizards, and Warlocks. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, there are a lot of reasons for that, none of which I need to go into right now. Out of the three of those, my favorite currently is the Sorcerer. I finally figured out how sorcery points work. And once that actually starts making sense to you, the class just opens up. So I'm having fun being a nightmare. Oh, I, I may investigate that. I generally play a bard because my snake's and I, we, we make a little bit of a musical chorus. We can actually sing when we are role-playing, which is fun to do when you're in a safe space with your friends. But of course, as a monster, when we play, we still play Dungeons and Dragons, but instead of humans going in, and we're humans and elves and, and others, other made-up species, instead of, of them going into a dungeon to defeat monsters, we play a group of monsters who go into churches and, and, and slay asshole destructive humans. I, I think you might enjoy playing the game that way. If you ever want mm -hmm. to, please let me know. I'd I love will. to invite you into a session. As a human, what's your favorite human invention of, say, the last 200 years? One of my favorite inventions, of course, is mirrored sunglasses. I like a good pair of aviators. I look just like Tom Cruise in Top Gun, if Tom Cruise was, well... Feminine presenting. But what's your favorite human invention of the last 200 years or so? You know, honestly, I think my favorite human invention of the last 200 years or so, if we are not going for specific things, because for specific things, I just have to say My Little Pony and we move on. Um, but apart from that, is honestly the portable music player. I think that one mm. of the greater errors we have made in the last 20 or so years is pivoting away from portable music players as their own thing and into this idea that it's an add-on for your phone, that you need to not keep those battery sources separate and distinct. Being able to walk around with hundreds of hours of music, of audiobooks, of all of this information just at your fingertips, people don't realize what an incredible advantage that is over humans and individuals of earlier eras. Oh, wow. I never thought about that. I, I still have my, <laughs> my, my, my iPod and I still have an original Sony Walkman from the 80s because I, I don't know if you know this, but Gorgons, we're not immortal, but we live about 
on average, about 200 years or so. Uh, So I was a young adult in the era where these portable music devices first came out, and I've never been able to get rid of them or donate them. I love them, so I'm with you there. Oh, goodness. They were your friends. Yeah, and it was a great way for me to, well, when I just really wasn't feeling up to dealing with humans, I would just put on my headphones and listen to some Christopher Cross. Oh, goodness, I am old. Do the young listeners even know who that is? Um, Google it, young humans. If you, as a human, could be a monster cryptid for a day or even forever, or a supernatural creature of any kind, would you be one and, and what would you be? I mean, who wouldn't be one, honestly, depending on what kind of supernatural powers you're getting. If it's one from my own work, I just go full cuckoo. Like, give me psychic powers and the ability to blend into anything. I will be the world's best ambush predator. Apart from that, I would love to be a dragon. It might make typing a little bit harder, but I have dealt with typing problems before. And there is voice-to-text software. Make me the size of a bus and give me the ability to fly and... Then let's see who makes cracks about my weight at the next Hugo party. Oh, <laughs> oh my goodness. Humans can be so cruel to each other. I, I must say, one of the things I love about being a Gorgon is fat phobia. There's just none of that bullshit in our community. I, I wish humans could be that way too, because what the fuck, humans? Really? Mm-hmm. Really? What the fuck, humans, really is possibly the truest thing you've said today. Oh, oh, thank you. I didn't know I was lying this whole time. Anyway, um, I do, I do know a dragon. I wouldn't call her a friend, but, but she's an acquaintance and she can type because she has a custom made keyboard. It's gigantic. It's bigger than my entire apartment. It's quite remarkable. But then again, she comes from a lot of old money and lives in a very large cave. But oh, if you ever have the ever uh, ever have the opportunity to see a dragon keyboard and don't even get me started on the monitor. It's huge. It's so amazing. She blogs. She likes to blog. Very cool. So I, I, before we move on to the horoscope with my roommate, I'd like to go a little deep. What, what is it that scares you the most? What is your worst fear? Pudding. Oh, pudding. Oh, pudding. Oh, goodness. Ooh, I, I'm, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. Oh, now I'm thinking about geese, and geese are horrifying. Oh, goodness. Pudding, any specific kind of pudding, they're all kind of scary. Pudding. Just pudding. Just pudding. How about gelatin or just pudding specifically? Just pudding specifically. It is the texture of pudding. It is viscerally upsetting in a way that makes no sense, but that is the whole point of a fear. Yeah, that's one of those human foods that I'm like, if if I ever came across it at, at a potluck or something, would be a Hell no from me. Oh, goodness, I thought I was alone in that. I feel less alone in the universe now. Thank you. So um, in this difficult time in the world, in both the human world and the monster encrypted world, what's, what's been getting you through it? I decided a long time ago, since the impending end of this planet is coming, the Armada will arrive soon, that while it is still here and we still have the option to do things with it, we should take as much joy out of the world as we possibly can. Do not kill the part of you that is cringe, kill the part of you that cringes. You know, just embrace your street pennies and embrace your joy. So mostly what's been getting me through it is stuff. 
uh, My Little Ponies and Dice. Uh, I actually managed to buy a Dance Dance Revolution machine, which is something I've wanted for about 20 years. I have a DDR Extreme Mix 2 machine in my garage. Her name is Baby. I am her second owner, and I love her very much. And, and that's a lot of, of how I'm getting through is focusing on the frivolous. I am keeping myself safe as best I can. I am trying to keep the people that I care about safe. I am making sure that my cats are well-fed and happy. And I am focusing on frivolous, shiny bullshit. And some of my frivolous, shiny bullshit is just absolutely bizarre. Um, your listeners can't see because we are not video recording, for which I am very grateful because I have not brushed my hair today. Uh, but I am holding up a Generation 1 My Little Pony. Specifically, it is a yellow Generation 1 My Little Pony with pink hair and fast food painted all over it. So anyone who knows G1 would recognize this as a twice as fancy munchie, except for the fact that it's in the wrong pose. Ah, ha ha, gotcha. There's a customizer in Switzerland who is specializing right now in recreating Generation 1 My Little Ponies using different Generation 1 My Little Pony bodies as bases. So this is a counterfeit munchie. She is absolutely perfect as a munchie, but she doesn't technically exist. And I love her passionately. That that is, you are so weird. That yes. is wonderful. Oh, so embrace your weird and focus on being happy. Yep. Oh, I I think that's fantastic. Okay, please don't tell my cousin. But do you have any Pegasus, My Little Ponies? I have so many Pegasus ponies. Okay, right. we're, we're. I hope Pegasus isn't listening because you know Pegasus gets no royalties from that at all. That is so wrong. I mean, I, I want you to continue enjoying them, but I also just want you to be aware of that. Maybe you can become an advocate for Pegasi, Pegasus getting some, some of that fat, fat My Little Pony money. Pegasus, unfortunately, did not go through the legal process of trademarking his own, line, his own likeness. And Pegasus My Little Ponies are not representations of Pegasus as an individual. They are not sculpted to match him. You know, I don't get uh, royalties from every Monster High Venus McFly Trop doll that's sold just because they are a human-shaped plant. The Little Shop of Horrors, I was not taken on as a consultant. I did volunteer. They didn't want me. You know, so it's a whole thing that you have to protect your likeness if you don't want people doing that. You know what? There have been Gorgon fashion dolls. Oh, 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 I am aware. Um, some of them are Okay. Um, but no, as a community, Gorgons, we get we get nothing for those representations. Um, just so you know, Pegasus uh, goes by they pronouns, and and also Pegasus is really well. Pegasus and I, despite being family, we we disagree on on humans, and Pegasus tends to want to stay away from humans. But perhaps I should tell Pegasus that hey. You might want to get to know some human lawyers. So so thank you for that. That might be helpful for their bottom line. Yeah, they might want to do that. It is unfortunate that Pegasus was seized on as the generic for a horse with wings. But Hippolectrion was harder to say, and so people just didn't go in that direction. I know. I, I struggle with language myself. For example, I don't know Greek and I'm trying to learn, but when your mouth has been, well, speaking one language for a long time, it's a little hard to get it to speak another language. So yes, I can understand why humans, 
much like us Gorgons, go for the easy pronunciation of a thing. Peg is a lot easier to pronounce than, well, whatever word you just said. Hippolytrion. Just like Hippolytrion. Oh, yeah, I know that that hip, but that has, that's horse yes. in, in Greek. Right, that right. That's why hippopotamus. More generic winged horse that showed up throughout Greek mythology. Yes, yes. Though there is only one Pegasus. Yep. According to Pegasus, of course. So perhaps I should take that with a grain of salt. They were a little um, into themselves. Yeah. Oh, but anyway, I shouldn't speak of family like that. <laughs> so what advice would you give to humans and, and well, what you would call cryptids in the world? What advice would you give all of us for just getting through? In, in addition to shiny pony things. It collects shiny things. It can feel really nice in the moment to be an asshole. It can feel amazing to know that you said the smart thing and made someone else shut up, that you said the cutting thing and everyone knew you were smart, whatever. It can feel amazing in the moment. You will feel terrible after. It is the eating cotton candy of being a person. Choose kindness when you can. I'm not asking you to be fake. I'm not asking you to go around being artificially sticky sweet at people all the time, but choose kindness. Say yes to things. Try to be generous. Try not to be an asshole. And if you have an option to make a choice that makes other people around you safer and more comfortable, you should take it unless it does material harm to you. Oh, that's lovely. I... Oh, once again, I feel less alone in the world. One of the reasons why I wear my glasses when I'm out amongst humans is simply because I'm wearing them to protect them. That is my way of showing kindness to them. Of course, I would be more comfortable not wearing mirrored sunglasses. Um, I'd love to show my eyes. They're actually, I, I'm being a little egotistical here, but they're actually quite pretty. But I can't show them to my human friends. Did someone tell you that it's not okay to be proud of the fact that your eyes are pretty? That's not egotistical if you're just stating a fact. You know, I have fantastic skin. I've never had bad breakouts. I don't have any major skin discolorations. Nothing like that. I can get by without foundation makeup. That is a nice thing about myself. It is not egotistical to say. You have lovely eyes that you can't show me because if you did, I would turn to stone and that would be very awkward for my editors. But it's not egotistical to say, I have lovely eyes. I wish I could show them to you. I wish oh. I could do some of those makeup looks that I see the humans doing on YouTube that would be really pleasing to do. I could paint my eyes to match my snakes and it would be gorgeous. But if I did that, I would kill everyone I care about. You know, that, that's not inappropriate. You should be proud of yourself and of the things that are about you that are cool. Always. Oh, oh, you are so inspirational. Um, sometimes if I know I'm not going out, um, and even sometimes when I know I am, I will, I will give myself, uh, what's called a cat eye. I've actually gotten quite good with liquid eyeliner. Um, it's kind of fun mm -hmm. to just, well, put on makeup just because you want to. And yeah, sometimes I wish I could share it with my human friends, but, oh, thank you so much. My, my, my family is well, they're very big on on not being too showy and egotistical and everything. So I am a little oversensitive about that. I, I should be proud of the fact that my snakes, despite not being human hair, can style themselves. I, 
that is something cool about me. Thank yep. you, Shannon. I that love that. That is an advantage over humans, quite frankly. Uh, you know, I mentioned I'm glad that your listeners can't see me because I haven't brushed my hair today. It tangles if you look at me funny. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't know. My um, quote-unquote hair speaks to me, but it never tangles, which I guess is very nice. Mm-hmm. Probably good for its bones, too. Shannon, this has been just so enlightening and wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, do you have a moment to stick around for a glimpse into the future? Certainly. Okay, because my um, <clears throat> my roommate, who luckily is what humans would describe as blind, is an oracle. Only physically. Only physically. Yes, yes, you and your third eye, which luckily I cannot petrify. You know, it's Sybil. Sheldon's put me in a very positive frame of mind. And so I want to say that I, I do appreciate you sometimes. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Penny. I appreciate you too. You're a great roommate. Yeah. Okay. So sometimes. So, yeah. Shannon, sometimes. what Sybil does is Sybil will foretell well, your future with a horoscope. Yes. I do the horoscope segment, which is, of course, everyone's favorite segment of this podcast. And of course. The way that I do it is I open the way for the gods to send me visions by, uh, ingesting some sort of substance. And I, I I like to change things up and experiment with what substances give me different kinds of visions. So today I have already snorted crushed dreams. And in order to do that, I found a floppy disk that someone had put a dream journal on and I crushed it and now I've snorted it. So it should be kicking in at any second now. Good. Remember our discussion of poisonous versus venomous? I think Sybil yes. might be about to experience that distinction. Oh, I, I don't see any problems in my future. Okay, Sybil, good. Sybil, do, do we need to call, um, well, I don't know what kind of doctor an oracle would call, but you, you are human looking. That would be poison um, control. I, I, I appreciate you channeling your gifts through whatever mechanism you have. Please don't ingest crushed parts of computers. They are oh, mostly made of heavy metals and toxic things. And there is oh, a good chance you've done yourself permanent organ damage. Too late. Too late. She snorted worse. Okay. Okay. Just so I you have. Know. Yeah. All right. So, you know, to continue my explanation, uh, thank you, Penny. I open the way by ingesting some sort of substance, and then the gods give me visions that I kind of categorize via the horoscope. So I don't actually believe in, uh, well, it's not so much that I don't believe in it, but my gift does not use the stars or astrology. It just takes the vision straight from the gods, but I use the horoscope to categorize the people that I am giving these visions to. So basically when I give the horoscope for Aquarius, all of the Aquarius listeners get a vision and they all get melded into one amalgamation of all of their futures. And then I give them that. So whatever vision I get is going to be true for every Aquarius, but often in different ways. So sometimes it's kind of more metaphorical and sometimes it's very literal. It's, it's always bullshit though, Sean. And just so you know, okay, sorry, civil, go ahead. I mean, have you ever read any horoscopes? They're, they're usually pretty vague. So uh, I don't know that mine is any weirder than anyone else's, but... Oh, no, it's definitely weirder. Shannon, what sign are you? 
Capricorn. All right, lovely. I will start with Capricorn then. Ah, okay. Getting a vision now. Capricorn, I am seeing a swamp. And floating in the air above the water, it kind of looks like a rat. Uh, oh, have you ever seen uh, The Princess Bride? Mm-hmm. It's got very R-O-U-S vibes. But it's sort of floating in midair. And there's a lot of smoke around it, kind of purple smoke. So I, I don't know what that means. It might be that you're going to meet some interesting rodents in the future. For some Capricorn, that's probably the case. Or it might be something more metaphorical. So the let's move on, on to... fire. This is good. This is good. No, okay. no, just purple smoke. Okay, just purple smoke. Good. Yep. Okay, that's a start. All right, Aquarius. Aquarius... For your future, I am seeing a beautiful rose-colored light falling on a path through a forest, and the trees are made of stained glass. This is lovely, but it looks kind of sharp. So there might be some meaning behind that where there's something beautiful but potentially dangerous in your future. And because there's a path, it might mean that you're going to have to find your way through this. Okay, maybe Aquarians should stay away from churches, maybe, with stained glass windows. Okay, be careful out there, Aquarius. All right, Pisces, Pisces. This one, it looks like a city, and there's a building kind of far away in the vision, so I don't know if it's something that's going to immediately affect you, Pisces, or something that you're just going to be made aware of, but it looks like this is a large building that's in the process of... I don't know, collapsing, dissolving, but pretty thoroughly dissolving into like dust. I don't know. I guess uh, just kind of stay close to home, maybe, Pisces. What if the home is the building that's dissolving? Well, it is off in the distance. So probably at least for most Pisces, probably not. But for some Pisces, it's entirely possible. Is it in the distance though, Sybil? Is it really? Yes. Is it? Yes. Okay. Okay. Good. Good. Oh, this is fun to fuck with you. Oh, what's next? All right, Aries. Aries, I am seeing, it looks kind of like a race car, but it's like all these interesting colors, like this bright pink and kind of a soft blue, but it does look kind of like it might be melting. I don't know. Be careful of how fast you go. Okay, and avoid dissolving buildings and rats and swamps. Okay. Okay, good. This is all. Oh, I don't know if you need together. to avoid the swamp rats. That might. Yeah, no, the swamp friendly. rat seems like a friend. Yeah, that might be okay. A okay, yeah, true. It wasn't on fire. Okay, it's true. We'll take what we can get. What's next? All right, Taurus. Taurus, I am seeing. Well, this one is just a little bit out of focus for me, so I can't tell if this person is wearing a spacesuit or a hazmat suit. Or like in a mecha, kind of a robot body, but they are holding some kind of really big mechanism. It looks kind of like if the engine of a car was crossed with a spider. So oh. I don't know where to begin with this one. I don't know how to interpret this, but Taurus, you know, keep an eye out for all of those things, I guess. Wow. When Sybil's confused, that's, that's, ooh. I, of course, don't mind snakes, but spiders are are not my, my favorite creature. Great. Okay, I'm going to try to shake that image from my mind. What's what's next in this horrible, horrible horoscope? 
Next up is Gemini, which happens to be my sign. But of course, my visions for just me are usually a little more clear and specific because they're not melded with other people's. But for Gemini in general, I am seeing, uh, it looks like a slot machine. It's, It's very pretty, actually. It's kind of got some really cool colors in it. More pinks and blues. I don't know. Those those crushed dreams seem to be color themed for some reason. So yeah, a slot machine, but it does look like it's outside somewhere in the desert. So you may have some luck coming. I can't tell if it's good or bad, but some luck coming in an unexpected place would be how I would interpret that one. Oh, someone's taking a trip to Las Vegas. What's up I don't next? know if that would be unexpected, but you never know. Cancer. Well, surprise trip to Vegas. Okay. Yeah. Cancer, I am seeing, oh, this one doesn't look that interesting. I'm just seeing a traffic jam. Uh, There's a gas station over there, but mostly it's just a lot of cars just kind of waiting. So I don't know. Give yourself extra time to get to wherever you're going, Cancer. A surprise trip to Los Angeles. Perhaps um, coming back from Las Vegas. Okay, good. So far, we are fire-free with these horoscopes. This this is wonderful, Sybil. Keep going. I appreciate you. All right, Uh, Leo. Leo, I see a lovely picnic spread laid out for you. It looks like there are sandwiches and there are burgers and some nice beverages. There's some kind of creature that's approaching the picnic that looks kind of like... (sighs) It's hard to describe. It's like if a human had the jaws of like an alligator. So their mouth is really stretched and toothy. Okay. That's very Egyptian god, at least according to human mythologies. Okay, then. Moving on. Virgo. Virgo, I see. Oh, this one's kind of cool. I'm seeing a vision in black and white. This doesn't happen very often. So... Mm. Yeah, there's a house, and it looks kind of in disrepair, and it's got a nice little porch out front, and there's something moving in the window. So I I think this house might be haunted. Uh, at least for some Virgos, you might be having a haunted house in your future. And for others of you, it might just mean that you've got a, a house that you're going to have to fix up or something like that. Oh, I've, I've secretly always wanted to flip a haunted house but I'd probably wind up just living in it myself. I mean, the ghosts could talk to my snakes and give me a little bit of a break. That's true. Who's next, Civil? Libra. Libra, this one's pretty straightforward. Visually speaking, I am just seeing a pile of treasure. It's like gold coins, mostly. Some silver in there. I don't know. Libra, you might have some windfalls coming. I can't think of a... Mm. I mean... I'm sure there is a negative interpretation of this to be wary of, but for the most part, this one seems good. You know, what's wrong with keeping it positive once in a while? Absolutely. All right, Scorpio. Scorpio, okay, this vision is taking me to outer space. I always enjoy when that happens. I am seeing there are stars and there's some rocks that might be, I don't know, asteroids perhaps. And there is someone, which I'm guessing is representing you, Scorpio, who is walking just in the vacuum and seems to be walking toward the the stars in the distance. So I don't know, maybe this is just telling you to reach for the stars, Scorpio. Oh, or, or maybe it's a reference to Shannon, who is also from space. Wink. Oh, that's a good point. 
I mean, maybe the Armada this is... is en route. Maybe we'll just eat the Scorpios first. Yeah, maybe. All right. We've only got one left. So we've got Sagittarius. Sagittarius, I am seeing a barn. And it looks like the severed head of a goat is on a stick. Kind of just in the middle of this barn. Everything was fine. And, and then, and now we've got goats on sticks. What the fuck, Sybil? Yeah, I mean, the the more violent or gory visions aren't always doom. I mean, probably for a lot of Sagittarius, this isn't a great sign. Uh, it was doom for the goat. Well, I don't know if there's a literal goat involved. Maybe goats don't get harmed in this in the making of this vision. I don't know. It's just a a vision from the gods, so I can't really tell that part. Oh, the gods do often have it in for goats, yes. No goats were harmed in the making of this podcast. I just want to be clear. That is very true. So yeah, that's a pretty quick horoscope. I wanted to get through those in a reasonable amount of time this week. I haven't had a chance to eat dinner yet, and I don't know, my my nose doesn't feel great after snorting the floppy disk shards, so... Yeah, maybe we should grab some... floppy disks. Yeah, let's let some let's grab some food on the way to a human urgent care clinic and maybe have that that nose of yours checked out. Um, yeah, because uh, I've heard when when humans have like dead roommates, there's a lot of what they call paperwork involved, and I don't have time for that. Um, and who would you. pay the other half of the rent? Yes, that's. That's that's terrifying. Thank you for bringing that up. Unfortunately, my snakes can't get jobs. Um, anyway, I know rent is tough for humans as well. So yes, let's not die, Sybil. Okay, maybe maybe consult me before you snort anything. Just just maybe maybe talk to me about. I it. can Would see the okay? future, Penny. It's gonna be okay. Okay, right. But maybe it's gonna be okay because she takes you to urgent care. Well, either way. Yes, I, I found that with humans to be true as well. A lot of things that they ascribe to supernatural beings are simply humans helping each other out. They will thank the gods when it was just a doctor that saved their lives. Um, so maybe maybe that's something where we can not be like humans in that regard. And let's get your dumb ass to a urgent care center. Okay, let's go. But first, let's say goodbye to our amazing guest. I'm still so honored to have had a human on the show. Thank you, Shauna McGuire, for taking the time to, well, just talk about us. All of us. Thank you for having me. I do genuinely appreciate it. I, um, I'm going to go look up purchasing some My Little Pony dolls. Please don't tell my cousin Pegasus, okay? I will Thank you all for listening. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sybil. Thank you, Shannon. And, um, all of you, monster and human, be kind to each other. Thank you for listening to The Gorgon Show. The Gorgon Show with me, Penny Cephalonia, is a proud member of the Faustian Nonsense Network. You can find us on Twitter at at Gorgon Show, or email us with questions and comments at gorgonshow at faustiannonsense.com. All music in The Gorgon Show is by TJ the Empathic Vampire. You can find more of his work linked in the show notes. Thank you for listening to The Gorgon Show. We at Faustian Nonsense would like to thank our patrons. If you'd like to become a patron, you can sign up at patreon.com slash faustiannonsense and hear me thanking you after our original episodes. 
Thank you to our patrons who are meeting us at the crossroads. Jules T., Parker, Alec L.B., Anthony Ampersand, Jonathan E., David O., Joseph Z., Mark S., J.A.C., Greg C., K.S., and our newest patrons at this tier, Yoshiko A., and Shadow Reaper. And especially thank you to our patrons at the Pod's Best Friend tier, Emily C., Eben R.T., Guy Z., Probs Not Hawkeye, Jolene, and Trevor S. Thank you so much. Without you, this would not be possible.